any I think any performer I mean even for hosting I'm sure you must have experienced yeah, this yeah like I think if you listen back to the first episode I, my mom was listening to it and she was like why did you release it you sounded like you were shaking I was like oh yeah. Perth, are you shaking now <laughs> my name's Emma and you're listening to the Socially Awkward Podcast Today's guest is no stranger to talking into a microphone, a recent graduate of voice performance at the National University of Singapore. We're absolutely honored to have her on the show today, introducing Priscilla Fung. Hi, Pris. Hello. Thank you for having me. So do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm Priscilla. I'm a recent graduate of the Yong Sito Conservatory of Music. I enjoy telling stories and I'm really excited to be discussing some interesting issues today on the show. <laughs> okay, so because today's episode will touch on potentially sensitive topics in the realm of performance anxiety, we just want to reiterate that as with any episode, all opinions expressed are our own. And with that, on to the episode. So just to get a little bit of background, how did you get into the performing art? I think it was back in 2015, 2016. I had this sudden urge to be a pop artist. I say that now and people who know me will be like, what? <laughs> and it's true. I wanted to be a pop artist uh, back when I was like 15, 16, but I knew I didn't have any voice, like technique or... Um, I know I had a, not a great voice mm. back then. <laughs> um, I've been singing in like church choir ever since a super young age. Um, so I kind of went up to my mom and I told her that I wanted to take voice lessons to start improving like my singing and she said that she would only allow me or not allow me she had a friend's friend who was giving classical voice lessons and that if I wanted to take uh, voice lessons I would have to go under uh, this particular friend and so in my head I kind of thought okay I'll like learn the whole classical like opera stuff and then maybe establish a good technique and then in the future if I wanted to I could like branch out into other genres um, I went for my my first voice lesson at 16 and this is a bit cheesy, but I kind of like fell in love with classical voice performance Aww. at the first, aww, <laughs> at, the, at the very first lesson. And um, I think that was kind of when me and my mom talked about it and we thought that perhaps we could explore um, pursuing music and voice performance at an undergraduate level. So she emailed the professor of YST and then we managed to have a meet and everything. And I started my studies there at the age of... 17, if I'm not wrong. Wow. Dude, I'm 17 and I don't You're know what 17. I'm doing with my life. To yeah. be fair, you have a maturity of like a 20, 20 plus plus, so I couldn't tell. Is the dream still the same as when you were 16, 17 to be a commercial pop artist? Um, so I think the dream over the past four years at YST started taking many different forms. Um, in the first year, I was very bright-eyed and naive like a take over the whole world <laughs> turns out <laughs> that's not possible um but so back then I really wanted to be an like an opera performer maybe get signed in some opera company and do have like a full career just based on voice performance um slowly realized that I had interests in many different areas such as production teaching and uh, curating content so that was kind of when I decided that perhaps I would like the ultimate dream would be to pursue a portfolio career. So having like one foot in performance, one foot in teaching, one foot in production and to sort of create a sustainable income from mm. that. Yeah, because I was just thinking like the traditional Asian parent mindset would be, oh, like doctor, lawyer, teacher, whatever brings in mm -hmm. the 
financial stability. Yeah. So how did your parents react to you saying, Mom, Dad, I want to be a pop star? Right. <laughs> um, so I do think that the, with the current, uh, as in the past few years, they are kind of changing a little bit. Like, I mean, Asians around the world were saying yeah. to recognize that mm. doctor, lawyer, engineer, and um, mm. banker isn't the only four options yeah. for a kid to be. So um, my mom has always been very supportive of the music interest because I think she wanted to pursue that as a child but never had the resources to. So when I was growing up, she encouraged us greatly to attend um, different concerts, like free concerts, lunchtime concerts, mm. and um, to take on piano lessons, What you know, the usual stuff, piano mm. lessons, voice lessons. Uh, sorry, just piano lessons. Not voice, voice at 16, I'm not lying. <laughs> <laughs> the Asian kid things. Yeah, and... Um, but when I told my parents that I seriously wanted to pursue music, I think, understandably so, my dad was a little bit more hesitant to the whole decision. Um, you mentioned a bit about the stereotype about how it's not a very usual mode of career and that, that to some parents, they may seem like there isn't any career development or, or, or growth. Um, yeah, but I think after my first or second year, um, in music when he realized that there is a lot more things to explore and it's not just locking yourself in a practice room and, and performing on stage, that there is other things and other sources of um, income. He was a bit more open to the idea and since then they've been really on board with the whole music thing. Yeah. Wow. Growing up in the church choir, would you say you grew up with a sort of performance background or at least being used to being on stage because, you know, there's that whole... I guess, paradox about being in church as a performer versus as a worshipper, etc., etc. Yeah, I think the church that I, w I am in mm -hmm. and have been for the past no idea how long is a very, very home church, I would mm. say. Like, really small congregation, oh. very family size. So, I wouldn't call it a performance. It's just like singing with my friends. Aww. So, I know that sounds cute, but joining the conservatory and having to perform at a... Um, larger scale yeah not even that huge just like slightly larger than the usual um, and with people that I like strangers was was a new experience for me so I forgot to mention this earlier but before I joined the conservatory the reason how I also got to know my professor was because I signed up for a voice competition oh, wow. it was the uh, Singapore Lyric Opera Arts and Competition in 2016 um, didn't know anything about performance all I knew was that I had to uh, sing the right notes and um, yeah that was it sing the right notes <laughs> so if you can if you could see footage of me performing then it was a complete wreck like I was not no eye contact with the audience um, constantly like moving my hands in a very rapid motion because I was so scared I would get offbeat um, no stage presence at all so that was kind of like my first debut into performance oh my. Um, which when I look back I don't want to say I'm embarrassed by it because I think it was a very funny <laughs> a very funny experience <laughs> But um, when you ask about the, ch the, the church choir, I don't think I was very involved in performance as a child. Only until up until I joined the conservatory was my first introduction into that world. Did you have to deal with performance anxiety? I mean, like, I think performance anxiety is something that a lot of people deal with, whether it's in grades or on a stage. So what was your experience with that? Yeah, so I think when we talk about performance anxiety, I think that there is a wide, wide spectrum and tons of nuances that I probably cannot 
address. I can only share like my experience with it. Um, so I don't think I knew what performance anxiety was for at least up until probably last year. So even during the competition, I knew I was, I had like butterflies in the tummy, crazy tummy aches before performing, that sort of thing. Um, sort of cold sweat sort of situation, but I always like thought that was just because I was excited to perform. So even for my first two, three years at the conservatory, uh, pre-performance, I always get really bad bouts of stomach ache now. Mm. Everyone knows that now. <laughs> the secret's out. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, so, um, and I've always like just pushed it to one side and thought that may that's nothing, like, nothing big. It's just because I may be a little bit nervous and excited to perform. Uh, when I talk to certain teachers about this sort of crazy um palpitations and tummy ache before performance they'll always just say don't think about it just just do it like go on stage and everything will be fine um it was only last year when I started talking a little bit more to my seniors at the conservatory that I realized that performance anxiety is a huge part of any I think any performance I mean even for hosting I'm sure you must have experienced yeah this. like I think if you listen back to the first episode I, my mom was listening to it and she's like why did you release it you sounded like you were shaking i was like oh yeah. are, th are you shaking now <laughs> no if anything it's like from like the hyper caffeinated <laughs> hyper caffeinated I had coffee last night at I had 6 coffee PM. last night at 6 p.m <laughs> bad life choices were made oh my <laughs> yeah so i think no but that comes with learning how to be a performer as well like, I realize a lot of this so-called performance anxiety, I didn't even realize it was performance anxiety until I thought about it. Because I thought, oh, you know, I'm on camera. I'm not really performing per se. It's not like I'm on a stage. So I think I had a very fixed idea of what a quote-unquote performance was. I thought it was being on stage and like maybe playing an instrument, saying a speech or giving a speech. What am I saying? Um, but... Because, you know, you're on camera and you can cut and you can edit and it's not live. Why should I feel like I'm performing? And I think especially with, I don't know if this is entirely accurate to bring in, but especially with YouTube nowadays, everyone's like, oh, you know, like when you talk to a camera, it's like talking to a friend. And I was like, so technically I shouldn't be feeling performance anxiety yeah. if everybody's mm -hmm. just saying that talking into a microphone or a camera mm -hmm. is like talking to a friend. And I think I only realized after I had kind of taken some time back, especially during COVID, because we had to really pause and think about how we wanted to continue with the podcast since we couldn't meet in person. I realized, oh, okay, part of this whole being on camera thing is practice. Part of it is a performance, yeah. Because I wouldn't say that I'm 100% the same on camera as I am off camera. Yeah. And I feel like it's healthy to have that divide because while it's not an entirely different personality, it's still a different aspect of me. Like when I go on photo shoots and stuff, I don't like my parents and my family seeing the things that I do. I don't even like them like watching the podcast. Mm -hmm. It makes me super uncomfortable. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Hi, mom. <laughs> <laughs> It makes me super uncomfortable. Yeah. And I realized, oh, it's because the person that they see on the podcast is not the person that they see at home. And the idea of them seeing me in this different light is just very unnerving to me almost. Mm. Yeah. How is it different? 
I think, well, you know, confidence is a whole fake it till you make it thing, right? <laughs> True. But that could be also like in the day-to-day life, right? Mm. Not just on camera. So is it more confident on camera rather than off camera? Or I think it's a different opposite? kind of confidence. Okay. Like I'm more conscious of a lot of things when I'm on camera. I'm more conscious of the things I say, I hope. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I hope I'm more conscious of the things I say on camera. And I like to imagine I'm a lot more composed. And like I think similarly to what Rebecca said in a previous episode she did with Danny, she was like, I didn't realize Emma had problems because <laughs> when I'm around people, I realize that I bring out different parts of my personality, which I think is normal. But almost sometimes it's not that I'm unrecognizable but I allow people to kind of just construct an image of me in their heads and while it may not be entirely accurate to who I am as a person I also don't stop them wow okay yeah. that that was such a self-aware and thoughtful response like so I used to play in a church band I'm talking mm-hmm. so much for an episode that I'm not even no 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 please go ahead <laughs> yeah. I'm learning a lot too <laughs> No, so like even, um, so I used to play the drums in church and I learned drums for church because they didn't have any drummers. I was like, I like music. So you learned Why on not? the job? That's crazy. Yeah, I learned That's on cool. the job. Mm-hmm. Dude, the number of times I've cried in the church bathroom because I thought I couldn't play a song straight up Maybe once. you move by the spirit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish that was what was <laughs> It was the anxiety moving. No, but I realized I got a lot of performance anxiety at church because it wasn't so much doing the job. That was a huge part of it. I didn't have confidence in my ability because I was surrounded by all of these people who were fantastic and learning faster than me. And I know that there's only so much you can compare yourself to as a performer. Dude, my mom was like, Emma, are you sure you want to play? Like, you know, I get that it's worship and all and like, you know, make a joyful noise, but also you're supposed to be leading people into worship. You don't want to be a distraction. I was like, thanks, mom. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. So there, I feel like, especially in a church setting, there's this constant paradox between performing for God versus also leading other people into worship. It was so funny. I was just talking to some of like my music mentors per se. I guess you could call them that music mentors. And they were like, yeah, Emma, you know, if you weren't so stressed and anxious all the time, you could have been a really good performer. Like, I wish you had a drum kit to practice on at home so that you could just play more and actually enjoy the instrument. And I was like, oh, gee, thanks. But actually, like, that actually brings up a really important point um, about the purpose of anxiety. Because what someone told me this um, back, I don't know how many years ago, uh, when I said I get nervous before I perform. And then they said you get nervous because you care about the performance. If you don't care about it, you won't be nervous. So I do think that being nervous and having that sort of, I want to say healthy pressure that performance provides also, in a sense, encourages us to work harder at our craft. Mm. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I think it makes total sense. But I guess like, like for you personally, what is the boundary or what is the fine line between healthy pressure and unhealthy pressure? I think that healthy pressure is one that pushes you to constantly try to improve your art, your craft. And unhealthy pressure is one that forces you to compromise on your artistic beliefs or your values. 
I think there's a very scary and also raw and also very the beautiful aspect of live performance is that whatever mistakes you make in the moment there is no second try yeah it's like, <laughs> if you made it you made it yeah and then gotta commit oh no <laughs> which is I think different when you talk about like ed- rough edits like um recordings and YouTube and stuff so I think that was one of the healthy pressures for me because I realized that um in order to give a performance that would be in my definition, like something that would be real for me would be one that gave me space to make the mistakes that I had to make. Because there's no way that I'm going to make a perfect performance and no way, I don't even think there's such a thing as a perfect performance. So that space to make mistakes and that, um, it's kind of like living on the edge, you know, yeah. you know, you <laughs> there's a mistake you're going to make mm-hmm. and that living in that space was healthy pressure for me mm. when I perform. Yeah. Mm. Honestly, I don't even know if that makes sense. My head was just running fast. No, you were right. Um, healthy pressure. I was just thinking about it as you were saying it. Healthy pressure allows you to grow, but unhealthy pressure takes over your mind, yeah. in a sense. And like for me, I think the pressure didn't even come from the people around me because they were super chill. They were just like, "Oh yeah, you. I mean, you're doing fine." Like, yeah, it was just a lot of self-imposed pressure, and I think that's also partly because. I dealt a lot with like because my family was all like my mom and my dad and my aunts as well were also involved in church. So I felt like I had to kind of maintain a certain image as my responsibility, not just to my family, but also to like the roles that they played within the church space. So like that's not to say that the people in church were terrible, toxic people, because I think they were fantastic. They were really I think they are people who really do care about me it's just that because of that it's not their fault it's like I just want to clarify it's not their fault I just overthink things (laughs) a lot and I think that's not an uncommon thing for people in general because you think about a student right and they definitely face performance anxiety in school as well like whether it's taking an exam or a competition or if they're playing a team sport or in a debate club or whatever it is I just gave so many unnecessary examples but no it's good it's good (laughs) But whether you're an individual or working with a team, there will be some level of performance anxiety because it's Mm -hmm. not just not letting the people around you down. It's also not letting yourself down. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think in today's society, we're very concerned about the image we put across. Yeah, for sure. I was thinking about this last night because everything I say on the podcast is appropriate or I like to think. I hope. There's a lot of disclaimers there. (laughs) I hope is okay for today's cultural context. But who's to say that it will be okay 10 years down the line? Part of the performance anxiety that comes with the podcast is knowing that, okay, look, if somebody really had the time or maybe the obsession or hated me enough because... To dig up all the old videos. Yeah, to dig up all of these old videos that will be old eventually and try to find something that they could use against me. Would I even remember what I said? And the truth is, I can't remember everything I say. Like, even after posting an episode, I'm like, I said that? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's part of the pressure that comes with it. Like, not gonna lie. Especially, like, now, you know, you could get (laughs) cancelled over so many things. We were also chatting about this before. I know the camera started rolling. But you talked about this idea of being at peace with uh, whatever you're going to put out there now, yeah. knowing that maybe in the future, if it's ever brought up, you knew that when you said it right now, that you actually meant it in today's culture and yeah. in this present time. Yeah. So I think there's also an element of um, 
this is what a professor once told me and I've always held held, <laughs> held it very dearly. Okay. <laughs> he told me that uh, you're only responsible for your own feelings. And this was in the context um, of both performance. I think I was hosting something with another friend and the friend was just not pulling his or her weight and the hosting was kind of like a flop and I was really, really, really upset. And I realized that he, he or she didn't care at all and all the bitterness and anger was just coming from me. So when I told my professor, he said, you're only responsible for how you feel, which is true. Um, you talked about the expectations and the responsibilities you feel to uphold your family's name, but maybe your family doesn't even know that you're yeah, holding that. Yeah, my family doesn't care. They're like, I'm going to just do whatever you want. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know. I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves that people are not even putting on us. Yeah, and I think that comes back to, you know, you being your own harshest critic. Yeah. Like, like it or not, I think at some point in time, even if you say, oh yeah, I don't care, I don't care, I'm a cool kid, I don't care. But <laughs> like, I think even with all of that, there is a certain amount of pressure that you put on yourself not to feel certain things. And... I know, like, I get upset at myself when I'm offended at something sometimes because I'm like, of all of the problems in the world you could be upset about, this is what you chose? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. For sure, yeah. And I think I don't have a point. <laughs> Let me continue with that yes. train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> Choo-choo. Okay, back to you, Priscilla. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, and I, I say this from a, from a place that I feel really, really, really bad about because I know... Um, back when I didn't know anything about performance anxiety and when I didn't know what I was experiencing, I actually low-key, high-key judged those who said that they, they had um, experiences with performance anxiety, especially friends who said that before performance, they had a whole list of like procedure they have to do in order to get themselves ready for performance. In my head, I always think, uh, like, what's the big deal? Yeah. You just go up there, just yeah. do your thing and just get off the stage. Yeah. And it was only until... Um, I personally yeah. went on stage and couldn't do what mm. I was supposed to do. That was like, oh no, oh no. Oh heck. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> like this is a real thing and who am I to judge what someone else is experiencing or what someone else is like going through? And I think you're right. Like there are some things where in we often forget like, you know, the golden rule. Aha. Values. We often forget that because it's so easy to, it's a lot easier to comment on what somebody else is doing from like a third person perspective and i think there is a beauty in that like oh okay yeah it's cool that you can get an outsider's opinion but we also forget not everything needs to have the third person opinion yeah yeah and yeah, it's yeah. completely okay and i think now with the internet especially everybody can give their opinion at any time which is great which is fantastic i love hearing what other people have to say which i mean blessing and a curse I know I really I literally said in like one of past episodes like you know sticks and stones won't break my bones <laughs> because like I have like said enough stuff about myself <laughs> to not so I think I have pretty thick skin but that doesn't mean that I'm not taking into consideration what other people say yeah and I think when you mentioned about this idea of having thick skin right I think everybody has different layers of thick skin like everybody is has a different plate and and threshold of pressure and of anxiety and it is not for us to pinpoint who's better or worse at it you know your struggles are personal to Correct, you yeah. and i don't think you necessarily have to or should i don't think it's healthy to be comparing your struggles to other people's because there are a lot of things that 
are not being taken into account. Like maybe just who you are as a person or the situation you're in. Or maybe, you know, if you had like a rough night. <laughs> yeah. So if we circle back around the conversation to our discussion earlier about the idea of uh, unhealthy versus healthy yeah. pressure. I think this idea or this example is one of unhealthy pressure when mm. it gets very comparative. And I know I kind I. F- didn't face this in full intensity but there were like undercurrents of this when I first joined the conservatory because all voice students and especially those in the same voice type you know you are like gearing up for the same jobs and the same gigs so I think when you start comparing judging and criticizing without any like value I think that's when it gets a little bit unhealthy and I think like the artistic point of it is that as an artist you're always growing you're always I mean evolving in a sense who you are as an artist on Tuesday may not be who you are as an artist on Tuesday night. On Tuesday <laughs> night. Yeah, you might suddenly decide, I have had an epiphany and I hate everything I've done in the past. <laughs> and that's a completely normal thing, I think, mm. as an artist. Because, I mean, that's the whole point of art, right? To look at how you and the world around you is changing and recognizing, hey, there are good and bad parts of it. I think that's a huge part of what art is. I feel that's also like the crazy beauty in art because it reflects, it's always reflecting the culture it's in, the mm. the social, the yeah. political landscape. Um, and so I've always believed that, I know this is biased because I'm a music student, but to better understand like the culture and beliefs of the day, if you look at the music, it's very telling because it's a mirror of what's going on. So that whatever you said, it's 100% true. Like art is just a reflection of that. Yeah. And actually, <laughs> I was listening to this composer with my mom the other day and we were just in the car. And I was like, oh, I like it. And I was kind of surprised because I don't usually go for the whole orchestra situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, orchestra yeah. Orchestra situation. <laughs> I've never heard anyone describe it as such, <laughs> but very cool. Yeah. And she was saying, oh, yeah, this guy... Um, his music is all like post World War Two, so there's a kind yeah. of hint of melancholy. Melancholy. Mel- melancholy. That's the word. Melancholy. Mel. Mel. M E L. Right. Melancholy. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. I'm dyslexic, man. Okay. <laughs> a like sadness. A sense yeah, of sadness. A kind of sense of there's like a weight and almost like uh almost I don't want to say nostalgia, but my vocabulary is really failing me right now. So, and I realize when it comes to music. I am drawn to that kind of thing. But especially because of the time that they were in, you know, they had just come out of a world war that they thought wouldn't happen again. Of course, you know, like, I mean, there are a whole bunch of other things behind it. It's not just, oh, yay, we're alive, but also all of the people we've lost and what we have to rebuild. So there is that sense of hope, but there's also a huge sense of loss as well. And I think that just ties back to what you're saying about music, reflecting a time period struggle or experience we've talked a lot about how art changes and how we change with art as well but what do you think will be a constant in it forever yeah i think in the past um few but my last few years at the conservatory i realized that there is so much more that art and music has to offer than just learning a piece of music composed in like 1700s and performing it to a group of half-asleep audiences. Like there's so much more that art can offer. And I think one avenue that I realized has been around for maybe the past few decades or centuries even is that art has an incredible power to change the views and the culture 
in of, of the time of the, the art was created. So I think that especially today with social media platforms, with ways to put art and music out, art is such an incredible tool to connect with people, to connect with communities, to connect with um, even this conversation. If there wasn't the topic of art and music, I don't even think I would be here. That is very true, actually. So I think this realization when I was in, I think, year year three, mm. that um, like the power and potential of art to be so much more than just a self, self I say selfish at a risk of sounding a little bit selfish, but like a selfish <laughs> act of performance. Mm. Um, yeah, it's so much more to offer to, especially people who may not have access to it. So shameless plug. In 2020, I attended um, the United Nations Peace Summit with... Um, very very grateful to have been rep to represent uh, YSD there um, during the conference I met some and when I say this I say it and I genuinely mean it mean it like some incredible people from all over the world and these people aren't um, in music they, they are from different fields different professions uh, law education and they were all so passionate about making the world a better place this sounds cheesy but it really wasn't Aww. like they really really believed it and uh, during the conference I met this person named Alia um, Alia is a student at the University of Hong Kong. She's majoring in is it biology and education. I think this oh, may be wow. wrong. <laughs> but I know it's, she's majoring in two things. And Damn, girl. Um, I remember during the conference, we heard we had some speakers come and share different their own organizations, their experiences with um, the idea, the, the definitions of peace and stuff like that. And I was so, so incredibly inspired to do something. Um, on the plane right back to Singapore, I remember like writing on my computer that this is what I want to do. I want to create a series of music workshops for refugee students across South Southeast Asia and to bring it around to use music as a way to connect with this with these uh, refugees and to let them tell their stories through music. Um, I got really lazy after the plane ride. <laughs> I didn't do anything for like a good month or two months. Like I didn't think about it at all. And one day, Alia texted the group saying that she was interested in creating a series of drama workshops for refugees. And I was like, oh, that is a opportunity for collaboration. So I got in touch with her. Uh, we realized that our past experiences were very similar with music. Just that hers was drama, mine was music. And that we shared many similar ideas on how art can be used uh, for positive social change. So... We merged these ideas and in April 2020, we launched uh, an organization called ArtPeace. So ArtPeace is a global youth organization of 11 youths from eight... This is all memorized. Wow, look at you go. <laughs> Give us that spiel. And we, are all, um, we all love art and we all think that it can be used to positively impact the people around, it, around us. So yeah, follow us on at XRTPeace or visit our website at XRTPeace.com. Yes. Go check them out. I feel like that was a really good place to end off. And I don't usually write an outro. And to stay consistent with that brand, I didn't write one this time. But I feel like I actually know what I'm going to say. So that's different. <laughs> I think what we can gather from this episode is performance anxiety is very easily overlooked. Because mm -hmm. as part of the performer, I want to say facade, but some people might disagree with that. So as part of the performer image, still another like synonym facade heck me man as part of the performer image right we're expected to have it all together or to present a certain way but that doesn't mean internally there is no conflict either and that kind of goes hand in hand with how powerful art can be because if we can present something that 
we believe in and that we truly care about, I feel like that overrides any sort of worry. Because I think if there's something that you really believe in, you wouldn't allow that anxiety to overtake you and to control you because you would still be motivated by the fact that, hey, this is something I'm truly passionate mm. about. And the art becomes so much more than just yeah, you. Yeah, and it yeah. becomes so much more than just a you thing. And seeing how organizations like Art Peace are trying to come together and make positive impact show that, you know, even if you are experiencing these things, part of it is practice, yes, but also part of it is really just truly believing in your cause and knowing the potential impact it could have. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Thank you for having me. And that's a wrap on today's episode of the Socially Awkward Podcast. We release new episodes on the first Saturday of each month on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. If you like today's episode, subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Instagram at the.sociallyawkwardpodcast. See you next time.